Hey guys, Ben here, and this is our first of a multi-day um, podcast. And so the, the section of scripture I'm going to be covering today is 1 Samuel 21 to 31 and all of the Psalms that correspond with that. And so if you need to know what all of those are, again, you can go into our reading plan on southridgefellowship.ca uh, to check those out. And um, yeah, basically uh, what is happening in this section of time, we'll get into it right away, is that uh, David is now on the run from Saul and uh, it really starts out with kind of a firecracker of a couple chapters and this is a section of time that I've actually been talking about a lot and so basically David and his companions oftentimes I think that David is alone for some reason which he isn't but um, David and his companions are, are hungry and they come to this place called Nob awesome name uh, of a city. Uh, I wish I lived near one named like that, but they come to this place, they're hungry, and there's a collection of priests there. And what happens is that David comes and he says, hey, uh, what do you have on hand? Um, give me, can you please give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here? This is chapter 21, verse 3. And the priest answered, David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. Um, so this uh, this bread that's been set apart for people who are for the priests who are, are not defiled, they're not unholy or whatever, uh, and just not just anybody can just eat this bread. And so if the young men have kept themselves from women, they can have this. And so David, David responds in, in verse 5, Truly women have been kept from us, as always when we go on, a, on an expedition. And this is the, the key verse here in the end of verse 5, middle of verse 5. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave them their holy bread, and, the, and for there was no bread but the bread of the presence. Now the bread of the pre- presence is the bread of God, bread of Yahweh. And, and the big question that came to me was like, man, like that statement that these, the vessels of these young men, my friends, we, we have kept ourselves blameless and holy even on ordinary journeys. They were on an appointed and anointed journey currently and but these guys were set apart. They were, they were right in God's eyes even in their ordinary everyday dayness of life and i just asked myself and i kept asking my friends as i as i brought up this passage it's like what man how do i how do i say that how do i be like that where i can we i can confidently say and this isn't a boastful thing or a proud thing it's like oh like i keep i do prepare myself and I do keep myself and I do uh, follow God even in the ordinary times not on Sunday morning not sorry not just on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights when like the lights are on and like all the Christian people are gathered together but in in the everydayness of life and I just ask of you as well like what what does that look like for you how have you tried to do that how have you not tried to do that and how do we kind of get that perspective to motivate us to do the very same thing. And so they get this bread because they have kept themselves holy. And and it it just gives you a bit more of an opportunity for anything. So if they hadn't done this, they would have had no bread to participate in, but they got this. And so I wondered to myself, as a secondary question, is what am I missing out on because of my sin? 
what 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 blockings or or things that are are in the way of me because of the sin that's in my life because of the things that I haven't kept myself from and I know it's a little bit weird to ask that question in, in a New Testament time in a New Testament church but I think that our sin and the principalities and the powers of darkness have have a certain measure of power they don't have ultimate power over us but those things do interrupt God's um, impact in our life direction in our life and so what have I lost out on as well because I have not kept myself holy and so that's just another question that you can ask yourself as well another weird kind of tidbit in chapter 21 is that David takes Goliath's sword out of uh, out of this um, temple or this tabernacle or wherever these priests are in Nob uh, which is just kind of like a pretty BA like cool thing to have <laughs> just walking around with just this mammoth sword because um, he didn't have any time to grab a sword because he had to peace out so fast but just kind of an interesting thing wow we're five minutes in I'm still in chapter 21 don't worry we'll go a little bit faster um, the, the other thing with this priest of Nob before we move on is that Saul actually comes and finds them and and how David speaks to these priests is really inspiring as he kind of uh, advocated on behalf of his friends and then what's equally inspiring is how the priests advocate David and his friends afterwards so the priests come sorry Saul comes to the priests and he's like why did you inquire of the Lord for him and give him provisions and give him the sword of God Goliath the Philistine this is chapter 22 verse 10 so Sam, uh, Saul is pissed that they helped David out and he's like why did you do this and so the um, they summoned the priests and he said why have you conspired against me that that you and the son of Jesse and that you've given him bread and the sword and inquired on God for him so that he has risen up against me and so Ahimelech, which was the priest, says, And who among your servants is so faithful as David? Who among your servants has been as faithful as him to, to be even at, be able to ask this question? Who is the king's son-in-law and captain of your, over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No, it's not. So basically... The, the priest is like, dude, you have no right to come in here and disrupt this stuff over your vendetta. Like, I've been advocating to God on behalf of David for years, so many times, and there is nobody as, like, anointed, there is nobody as um, faithful as him, so why would I, why would I stop? Why would I stop doing it? And I just thought, man, like, this is like standing up for what you believe in, knowing what is probably going to happen because, you know, Saul's anger and Saul's disapproval. You find out as you read in the chapter that he kills all of them as a result of them doing the right thing. And now we realize that in the Old Testament, like the consequences are very immediate. They're very striking. And, and for us, the consequences maybe aren't as as immediate or as striking but they're still there we have to assume they're still there they're just a little bit more subversive subliminal and for some of us there they are right there but this is what standing up this is kind of a rubric for what standing up for what you believe in is really like so paul pursues david 
And this is where, David, I believe it's, it's either the first or the second time that David has an opportunity to kill Saul, and he chooses not to kill him. And he calls Saul the Lord's anointed, and is essentially saying that this is not my job. When God wants to remove his king, God's already taken his blessing from him. He has rebuked him. He has um, taken his anointing, or sorry, not his anointing. He has taken off his favor on him, but he hasn't taken off his anointing. He hasn't removed him as king. And so basically David's like, God's going to take care of that. Not me. Oh yes, here we go, chapter 26. David finds himself in the exact same position. He's basically trying to prove to Saul, like, hey, not so much like, hey, no bad blood, buddy, we can be friends. But he's like, hey, this is, I'm not here to hurt you. I know you're out here to hurt me. Like, can we get, can we get through this? Is basically what David's, he is pursuing him to get through it. Now, one of the things that leads to um, kind of the demise, not the demise, or just kind of the, uh, the end of Saul's life and the transition of David's life is this. Um, so God is so God's no longer talking to Saul um, through prayer, through priests, through inquirings of him, and so Saul needs to get some sort of answer for what he's supposed to do in in his wartime. And so basically, he goes decides that okay, well I used to go to God, I'm going to go to somebody who can talk to other people. Because he knows of people that, that can communicate with spiritual beings or people who aren't, you know, physically there. So he goes to a medium. This is, is in chapter 28. And um, so Saul inquired of the Lord. The Lord didn't answer him by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So Saul said to his servant, seek out to me for a woman who is a medium that may, I may go inquire of her. And so there is a medium and basically... She asks, who, who will I bring up for you? Who, who, do you, who do you want to talk to? Okay, so that's, that's already immediately like alarm bells. First of all, God's like never do that um, in, in the Torah and the law in the first five books that we read. Um, he's like never do that. But also um, never do that. Why? Because people can do that. I didn't design you to talk to other spiritual entities. I designed you to talk to me. So, he says, bring up Samuel. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that, that I kind of want to bring up. This is a, kind of a, a, an interesting section of Christianity, believes this, a little bit out of, you know, my comfort zone growing up, is that uh, people can't talk to, to can't talk to dead people. But what they can do is talk to the evil spirits assigned to the families of those dead people because they know them so well. So essentially when a medium or a fortune teller or a whatever, when you talk to uh, or they talk to a, you know, a, a dead loved one, what they're actually talking to is, is, a, is a demon or a, a spirit that is familiar with that dead person. So they would talk like the way that they would talk. So it makes it very believable. But here it's weird because he actually brings up Samuel. So obviously God made some sort of provision. Sorry, I'm like yawning a bunch. This is so weird. Whenever I get to do a podcast, I start yawning. It's not because I don't like think it's exciting, but it's just weird. So um, that's just like 
my Cole's notes on that one, it's probably a way deeper conversation. I've had a couple conversations with people about it, but it's just kind of wild. Um, to finish off uh, the section of reading uh, without touching the Psalms, really, uh, we go to chapter 31, where this is the death of Saul, and this is the end of an era where um, it's going to be the transition of anointed power from Saul to David. And uh, he's in a battle with the Philistines that he's losing and decide, tries to get somebody to kill him in his shame, um, but ends up killing himself, which is just really sad to see somebody who was so, um, yeah, just in favor with God at the beginning and not so at the end. But yeah, so that's that 10, ten chapter section. Obviously, there's Psalms. They're interwoven through it all. And I'm not not talking about them because I don't think they're important. I'm just talking about this, the narrative for the sake of time and that, that emotion of the Psalms is so important for us to read alongside the technicality of the narrative. So thanks for listening and we'll talk to you tomorrow about 2 Samuel 1-4 to and 1 Chronicles 1-6. to